0: Miseu de Chicago is a church made of congregations rallying around the singular vision of joining God in the renewal of all things new. If you like what you hear, stay tuned for more information. Good morning, everyone. Um, Today's uh, reading is uh, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the likeness and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that live along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Build the earth and subdue it roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And so all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath of life in it. I give you every green plant for food. And so it was so. God saw all that he had made in him.
1: Through a story called Origins, looking at uh, the beginning of our origin story as, uh, as Christians, or as the Judeo Christian story of Genesis. Um, my kids, as I just want to start with a story. Uh, having kids, you all know that kids love stories, kids are obsessed with stories. Always want to hear a story. Um, is this on? Can you guys hear me? It. Uh, oh, it's off. It's me. It's there we go. It's not you. We go. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so my kids always love stories, you do bedtime, tell me another story, tell me another story. Um, if, if you don't believe <coughs> stories are important or stories, just talk to Jake, he'll explain to you all the, the importance of stories. Uh, but uh, ever since I've in the kind of as a parent, you went out of stories. So uh, you tell all these stories of, you know, you know something like Peter Rabbit or whatever, and then you just start as a parent. I don't know about you, if you've been around kids, but I just begin to do a minute to me, smash of stories, um, because I run out of stories. So I would you know, say, well, you know, Jude, there was this little named Jude also, and you know, he was deep in a lot of fights and playground." He's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And he just kept in the fights. And so his mom got really scared and said, you're gonna have to move with your aunt and uncle in California, and you're gonna move. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, and Jude got in a taxi, and there was like a surprise in there. And they moved over there, and he doesn't to up these stories uh, together. Uh, my favorite in, in Naomi's favorite when she was little was the story about a little man who was at a school, a little boy, and um, you know he, he went to school and he, he went he came from a very rough life. Uh, his dad was very mean to him, mistreated him, his mom died early, and you know, he went to school, he had his little mustache, and um, he wanted the whole school to look just like him. And uh, he decided to try to get rid of all the other kids in school that looked different from um, him. This would be Hitler, okay? So, uh, and so, you know, and should always, you know, tell him about Hitler, and she would always, Dad, tell me another story about Hitler. You know, so it's, it's kind of a weird dark thing, and um, Never are stories of a child before about Hitler. Um, but, you know, since, so i always tell the story about this person who was mean to other people, you know, mistreated everyone that was different, the importance of of what, you know, including people that are different. And to this day, um, Naomi is an advocate for people that are different. I don't know if it's because of the Hitler story or not, but it's true. And um, when we look at that story, now is that story about the the little Hitler child in the school, is it literal or historical? No, it's not literal or historical. Um, is, Is it true? Is the story true? Yeah, it's, it's, it, some could say it's, it's truer than true. Um, if I were to tell Naomi and sit down and say, let me tell you all the facts about World War II, and how it started, and how these countries went to war, and the dates, and all the facts, she'd be like, I am not in this at all, right? Um, but that story, some would say, is truer it's than true. They creates and truth it. A truth that it was helping shape a deeper meaning about reality than a historical story could share I say all that because as we study Genesis, if you here last week, you've heard about this, but I kind not want to share where we were last week. That when you look at this, the book of Genesis, we as Christians have gotten so, in so many wars, basically of one side extreme, saying this has to be 100% literal. And the other side being like, well, because it contradicts science, we have to throw it out completely. And we talked about last week how when we began to read this book like a science book or a textbook for how to live we do really harmful things to people. And the reality is, is this genre of our origin story, is it historical genre? think about what is the genre, what is the purpose? So the biggest question we have to ask when reading Genesis is, why did someone write this? Why did someone write this? What were they trying to teach the original audience? And we don't, we can't ask that off of that question, so we have to do some work. But think about this, paper wasn't cheap back then, and so many tablets weren't cheap either. So we know this is extremely important. And what was going on then at that time, as we talked about last week, is the creation story has a context. It wasn't just like God showed up magically and shared all this, There was a context, and the context was slavery. God's people were in slavery, and they were enslaved in Egypt, and then later on they were enslaved in Babylon. So the context of the Genesis creation narrative is God's people in slavery under a framework of other creation narratives that were telling them how the world works. And all those creation narratives, I'll get into them, basically said that you were created as a product of violence between the gods. You're you're here because the gods were violent towards each other. Um, So as we dig into the story, we have to... Understand that this is not the Gettysburg Address, right? This is a genre of what you would. Be, this would probably be the best genre. It's not a myth. It's easy to go, "Well, it's a myth." No, it's not a myth either. It's the genre of origin story. That's the word. There was a whole. That was a thing. It was agriculture had a way of telling their origin story. And so, not only that, but you think about the context of slavery. This work was also political in nature. This was a time when religion and faith and your, your people, your government, the way you were all one. Genesis 1 is a political, spiritual manifesto of for how our God is good and how our God loves us and cares for us, despite the narrative we have been told, that you're here to be a slave to the gods. Totally different framework that Moses had to reteach these people. This is what a a human is. This is what the world is. This is what a plan is for. This is the sky and the moon. But when we treat Genesis like a textbook and begin to think through, we kind of have to almost just, to get into this work, you kind of have to remove yourself from your modern-day society and just teleport into ancient society for a moment. And when we begin to bring our scientific questions to the Bible, the Bible's not answering those questions. They weren't ask, asking how the world, how old is the world? How, how, you know, all these questions. They were asking who made it and, and how does it work? You know, you know, what do we do about it? Why are we here? But when we treat architects with people, get hurt. For example, this is Galileo. The Roman Inquisition tried Galileo in 1633, found him vehemently suspect of heresy for believing that the earth revolved around the sun. So because he believed the earth revolved around the sun, they sentenced him to house arrest where he remained until his death, until 1642. So because this didn't line up with the textbook, with the reading the Bible as textbook, as, as this, this thing, he was sentenced to death. There was another Italian philosopher named Giordano Bruno. I don't know if that's
0: where Giordano comes from, I'm some sort
1: of not sure. But, <laughs> He was burned at the stake for a stubborn adherence to his beliefs that the universe is infinite and that there's other solar systems that exist, and potentially extraterrestrial life out there, potentially. So he was burned at the stake because of that. Now, we've got this going on, and then those are extreme examples, but many of you have self-selected out of Christianity because of textbook understandings of Genesis. Or you know someone who is self-selected out of Christianity because their worldview of how the world began doesn't match up with the Bibles and what they were told they have to believe. These are extreme examples, but we still hurt people with textbook answers from the Bible. Um, This is a quote by Rachel Evans. She says, there's a curious but popular notion circling around the church these days that says God would never stoop to use an ancient genre categories to communicate. Speaking to ancient people using their own language, their own literary structures, and cosmological assumptions would be beneath God. It is said that only our modern categories of science and history can convey the truth in any meaningful way. In addition to once again prioritizing modern Western and often uniquely American concerns, this notion overlooks one of the most central themes of Scripture itself God's stoops. From walking with Adam and Eve through the Garden of Eden, to traveling with liberated Hebrew slaves in a pillar of cloud and fire, to slipping in the flesh and eating, laughing, suffering, healing, weeping, and dying among us. As part of humanity, the God of Scripture stoops and stoops and stoops. At the heart of the gospel message is the story of God who stoops to the point of death on a cross. Dignified or not believable or dying. God is one perpetually, on bending knee, doing everything it takes to convince stubborn and petulant children that they are seen and loved. Our God, Stoops. And so I want to tell you this morning, I encourage you this story of, diving into the story of us, the story of creating humanity. And last week we looked at a lot of the story of the first, six, first five days. The story of God creating humanity is really so simple at the core is that God stoops to be with us. To, to the depths of God's love for us, God comes down to us. And this is one of the most beautiful ways God stoops to us, is in the creation of humanity, the creation of Adam and Eve, right? This creation story that we're going to get into. And again, these were responses to other origin stories that were polytheistic or pantheistic, that everything was God. i will get into that in a minute. But these were origin stories to, to reteach So for example here is a picture we shared last week of ancient Egypt. This is one of the most popular Egyptian pictures to teach the creation narrative. There's four gods. Um, There's the god of Ra, uh, Nut, I can't remember them all, Nut, which is Nut is the, you see this arching downward dog figure, that was the god of Nut, which basically all the stars hung on Nut. And the sun god, Ra, would ride on Nut like a boat and rise in the morning. And when it was dark the darkness was taught that every time it got dark it was again that chaos in the beginning of creation that was taking over and that every time the, the sun rose it was deliverance from darkness now the sun didn't you know that was a little stressful way to live and every time we go to bed like darkness is taking over again like evil is over and now we got to away from the sun but um this is the way so the creation like right. what they're doing in the creation area is no, the sun and the stars are not gods. God created them to guide you and protect you, because our God is a caring God. This um, a couple of these stories were found in 1849, probably in Enuma Elish, Elish, and um, this was a Babylonian thing, and it was they had thousands of tablets and they began to piece all these tablets together um, there was all kinds of literature everything from, it was like a library they found an ancient library and in there they found the Babylonian creation stories in the 1840s and in that work there's a lot of similarities between them but a lot of differences let me read you one example when it gets, we talked a lot about creation last week for these versions but let me get into like the part where it talks about creating humanity this is the, the this is what it says let, Let me put blood together and make bones too. Let me set up primeval man. Man shall be his name. Let me create a primeval man. Uh, The work of the gods shall be imposed on him. So so basically, the work of the gods that goes into this more is, we're going to give menial tasks, and the the people, are the reason they're here is to serve the gods and be slaves to the gods, so that the gods can be at leisure, so that the gods can rest and, and, be, and reign and rule. Next slide. Um, this is the Atrahasis. The Atrahasis epic, another early creation. You guys good with some of this stuff? You gotta hang in there? Um, so, alright, so a little history lesson. Great indeed was the drudgery of the gods. The forced labor was heavy. The misery too much. So the, the, the labor of the gods was getting heavy. And there was all these other gods. And there was very much a classism among the gods. So there was one god... I don't put it all in here, but there was one God that was like, I keep getting all the stuff from the other gods to do, and you know what? I'm going to delegate this. <clears throat> I'm going to make more creatures, more robots, more automaton, automated beings, so that they can do the menial task. Like, I shouldn't be having to do all this. Sound familiar? Um, <laughs> I'm going to create other things that will do the menial task for us. I think we've copy somebody. And so, let let the midwife create a human being. Let man assume the drudgery of the god. They assumed and asked the goddess, the midwife of the gods, wise mommy? Will you be the birth goddess, creator of mankind? Create a human being that he may bear the yoke. Let man assume the drudgery of the gods. So a lot of this creation story was the fact that the, the middle tier gods didn't want to have to do the menial task of the, to serve the greater gods so they delegated to us so that we would be slaves and serve the gods so that's why that's what these people heard all their life in every great ancient near eastern religion the gods created me to make life easier on themselves to carry the burden of the gods and be at their service literally like one story similarities and differences one story out of this was that um, the god actually, uh, to do this, to create these menial beings, he killed another god, mixed clay with blood, and that's how humans were created. Now imagine that as a child. You're like, hey, hey mom and dad, why are we here? How did humans come about? Well, one of the gods split the throat of another god and mixed the blood with clay, and it's far here. You're like, great, awesome, a lot to look forward to in life. Um, they must care for me. Uh, they must really, really be here for me. So you have to imagine the worldview that they were here. Now, now, Christian, our, people, our story goes like this, back to the very beginning of the scriptures. then God said, Let, let's make mankind in our image. Let us, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make humanity in our image and our likeness, so that they roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures to move along the ground. So God created first Paul never in you know, literature of, of the Bible. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase the in number, we what that's hoped for. Uh, fill the earth, subdue it. We'll talk about that in a minute. Rule over the fish and sea, the birds and the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So and then at the end, he says, it's very good, right? He creates day one through five, good, 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 good. Great humanity, very good. We are the pinnacle of all gods. Creation. Other gods created humanity as property. Our God creates us as representatives. You see the context. That we're his representatives of his royalty. Like, whenever, you know, we talk about how God rested on the seventh day. So totally true that God was giving us an example to follow. But that word rest, if we go to the very last slide of Psalms 132, that word rest was synonymous with his rule and reign, his royalty, his lead, his governing. It says in the very last that very last slide of Psalms 132. You see that breath? For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his dwelling. Saying, This is my resting place forever and ever, here I will sit enthroned. So you see that? There's a sense of like resting was, was what the gods did because they were in charge. They were leading. Our gods, though, other gods, they created him as slaves. Our God created us as children. Other gods weigh us down with men and work they didn't want to do. And our God says, I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to delegate to you and give you the freedom to co-create with me so that all things flourish. And you remember the, the language used about the yoke of all the tasks. Jesus comes along and these stories are so foundational, Jesus took them and draws on the same language centuries later. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I'm a God who gives you rest like me because you rule and reign with me. And learn from me. My yoke is gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for all your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So take this heavy burden off so you can rest. Whereas the gods were saying, take this heavy burden so we can rest. Jesus is saying, give me your heavy burdens, and you can rest by me, because you're made my image. Now the image, it's important to talk about. The image, at that time, all of the creatures were creating images of gods, idols, and putting them in temples. And God's creating a temple, the garden, and he is saying, I, I don't need you to make an image of God. I'm going to make you in my image. I'm going to make you an image. You're going to, you now, the image of God, of scholars have written about it all over the place. What is it? What does it mean? It? it really doesn't say what it is exactly, it only says what it does. It's all about function. It says you should be fruit, be blessed, be fruitful, be multiplied, cultivate the earth. Be the cultivator, right? All this language. Subdue, so, so all that, it not it's not like what we think of as ancient language. Your royalty that is caretaking and cultivating through the earth like me. You're a co-royal child of me. And so there, we're here as these, um, these deputies of the earth, really, these, these co-conspirators to care for the earth and that function, to be fruitful and multiply. So dude, in the Hebrew, is a priestly responsibility to care for creation. It's not like conquer or domination. It's more like you're represented on earth to all the resources. And the things you will see in the creation account bless, cultivate, cultivate worship voice for God, and that you were created on purpose, for a purpose. So what does this all mean for us? i um, glad you asked. Uh, three, three things I just want to focus on um, You guys good? I just gave a lot of information. Is that helpful at all? So you just kind of get at core. I feel like it's helpful because I think it, it reframes like, some examples what's going on in this passage instead of just like, you know what, like, this is the word of God. better listen. Um, so, a couple things. First is just this like interdependence between God and us. And I will talk about the interdependence between each other and and, and and interdependence on creation. So there's first, we rely upon God for everything. I think what, what, what I walk away from is like so much. Okay, right. This whole history help me understand maybe what was happening. This interdependence, what, what are they trying to teach the people? What, are, what is the author trying to show? I think they're trying to show that we are not slaves to God. God is not our master. If you relate to God as a master, I would say you've inherited a, a faulty foundation. Because God is master. Was the worldview of Babylon, of Egypt, that then later became the worldview of America to promote slavery. That God is your master, and He's made me your master, so you do what I say. And what I think Genesis is doing is removing the idea of God master. He's not master, He's intimately stooping to be. Where the other gods, it was blood mixed with clay, our God, intimate kiss, breathing into the dust. Right? Walking with the people in the cool of the day, blessing them. It's just filled with poetic goodness flowing through and through, letting us know that we have a God that's good. And Christians, in time of slavery, had to do weird, violent gymnastics to this text to justify slavery. Um, I thought this quote by Frederick Douglass was appropriate in thinking about him back then, in his time and now. He says this, between the Christianity of this land and the, Christ- the Christianity of Christ, in other words, the, the true Christianity, I recognize the widest possible difference. Does that true to anybody? So wide that To receive the one as good and pure and holy is as of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. I can't say, it and say, ouch. (laughs) To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, frail-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one of calling the religion of the same Christianity. Sorry, the next part was error. So, so first of all, that was the saying. There's no like both ends here. There's no like. There's even true Christianity, and then there's this thing that's calling itself Christianity that must be called wicked evil. Now. I'm a peacemaker and I'm all about thinking, not pinpointing people black and white, I don't think the enemy is humans. Just as Adolf Hitler was not the enemy of my child's story, it was the nature of environment and upbringing and a good person learning to practice wickedness over time. But I think here that the creation narrative is subversively, politically, and spiritually Subverting the empire of slavery. And helping us see that we have a God that loves us and we are God is not our master. So, interdependence on God, is not your master, He wants to be with you, rely upon Him. That's one. Second, interdependence with, with each other. And I would say, even with, with men and women. Right from the beginning, the image of God is portrayed as men. women and men, both equally make up God's not gender. He's the wrong gender. The scriptures talk about metaphors of him being very male-like. And the scriptures in the same chapter will talk about him being very womanly, very, very female, very feminine. Um, and so, so we, we have a God that uses those traits to describe himself. And he creates humanity in his image, both feminine and masculine. Now when you compare this to ancient origin stories, when God created, there was always a high and women were not really mentioned when, when, when it described that hierarchy. Men were at the top and women at the bottom. And I think it's important to say that we as historically as churches in America have fallen so short of the creature descriptions from the beginning. And the church has fallen short of this, and we need to be honest about the descriptions that the church has fallen short historically about women and men being equally sane, equal in power, authority, and dignity. Right? This is when when, when Adam is created. It, it is not, he's take, when, you know, he takes part of the side, takes a big chunk of the side. Oh, not red, by the way. He takes a big chunk of the side. It's actually one reason my dad didn't believe, I'll tell you that's for a better. Um, uh, and, um, and there is a woman. And he says, over my own flesh my flesh is the same. We're the same. Finally, my equal right. Remember, the story was these animals are really good companions. And that's kind of humorous. You can know, go a lot of different directions with that. But he he's like, Fine, I'll make you one that's compatible. And he says, Finally, same. Same. And there's differences that allow relational independence. Now, Obviously. This could be a whole talk on gender, you know, gender, all these things. Men, men, women, what it, you know, I, I don't have time to unpack that. Um, there's times where men that need to have relationships with men, like me's breakfast. We had yesterday, and women need to hang out with women. Like maybe does anybody want to organize a women's breakfast? an invitation. Uh, Thomas Aquinas of the 13th century argued that females were the result of defects in the womb, leading to physical and that's 13th century theologian, Thomas Aquinas. So we need to be honest about the history of Christianity getting this wrong. And here, there's this um, interdependence upon women. The point I want to point out is men and women need each other. Women need men and need women. We need each other. We need a, a blessed alliance between men and women. We need a, a sense of learning to, to get along and be for each other. And creation story Christian, teaches this, And then thirdly, is interprinciple of creation. Let us make humans dominion over the earth. Now, that obviously sounds very violent. I'm guessing that doesn't sound caring or hospitable. But these stories were written not to justify human domination the way those verses were used out of context. But to eat, verse 29, God gives people seed and fruit bearing, bearing fruit. For food, and I think the point here I want sort to of make out is so obvious. And probably the probably obvious thing I would say all day is we are dependent on creation. We're interdependent on creation. Um, read a lot of Wendell Berry. Just go read Wendell Berry. That's all I got to do. Look him up. Read him. Farmer who writes poetry. Very good stuff. He writes this from the union of power and money. From the union of power and secrecy. From the union of government and science, from union of government and art, it goes on and on, on, from union of outer space and inner vacuity, the mad farmer walks quietly. Come, all ye conservatives and liberals, who want to conserve the good things to be free. Come away from the merchants of big answers, whose hands are metal with power, from the union of anywhere and everywhere, by the purchase of everything from everybody at the lowest price, and sell anything to anybody highest price. From the union of work and debt, work and despair, from the late slavery the helplessly well employed, from the union of self gratification and self- annihilation, succeed to care for one another and for the good gifts of heaven. So it's a simple point, but I just think it's point, pointing out that we're dependent on creation. I think I just want to say it we're urban. And right now, um, like last week, I ordered takeout, order, order takeout or Chinese food from the from the comfort of my couch, type in my phone, and somehow ingredients from all over the world were flown to this location and people put it together and it was driven to me. Didn't have to speak to anyone, bless you, dropped food off right at my door, and I get the food. In that whole process, I was removed sort of from the notion that I'm dependent on creation there's a difference between that hand God bless the hands who put this food into the ground bless those who harvested it bless those who took it and washed it and cleaned it and prepared it for my body Right? Th- those realities are different and when we remove ourselves from the pins of creation we become master like mentality that we're supposed to be called away from. We, we believe the notion that we're masters. We believe the notion that we're in charge and that we have this illusion of control, that we're not dependent on anything, and it's my ingenuity and the higher ease of my servant, the people I pay for to serve me, It's the reason I have what I have. But the other worldview is I'm dependent on everything, all God's creation, I'm dependent on That's something we must be reminded of. So, interdependence on God With each other, creation I don't have a Magical mother at this sermon I don't have a sad story to make me cry Um, But which one of these was a reminder For you? Which one of these was One where you see yourself Falling into that Trap of Man, like I'm the master, right? Or, I don't need anyone I can do this alone or God is my employee and I'm the employee. He's the master, not the servant. And have, which one of these do you need to get rid of that for is that creeping in me? So I just invite you just to take a moment, bow our heads, close our eyes and meditate. What is God inviting you into this morning? Or was he inviting you to get rid of? A worldview. That's caused harm. Because we become the God we worship. Your image of God that you have creates you. And if God is a God of master or eternal torture, we will have no trouble eliminating our enemy. But if God is a God of love and friendship, and my union with God and communion with others is my identity, we can't burn anybody at the stake. We can't call anybody a The beauty is, is that God loves loves things by becoming, <laughs> becoming them. He suits. He takes on creation itself. He becomes human. He loves things by entering into their world. That's not God is is all things, but He is in all things. Does that mean that God is all creation? That He is in all creation. We've gotten so afraid of saying that, sounding like a heretic that we've missed, that God is in all things. He is in all things. So God, we just want to become aware of your presence. That you stoop. Hear God's word together. We'll um, love to take communion in unity together, as we always do. Just to feel led as we worship. Um, come, take and eat the bread, drink the cup, and remember that as long as we get together, Jesus reminds us to do this and remember is that His resurrection. Um, if you need prayers or anything, maybe just rediscovery of purpose, rediscovery of God is good. Anything. We're just just like I just want to be blessed. God said. Blessed, you're blessed. Or maybe just you, you remind yourself of all curses, this negative script, and you just need to hear a blessing. Um, we just want to hear blessing over you. So, um, we'll be going the prayer back. So let's let's worship. Okay. Engage.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this message from Missio De Lincoln Square. If you'd like to know more about Missio de Lincoln Square, please reach out to us at lincolnsquare at